Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good. Awesome. It's Palm Sunday, and last, uh, I want to say it was like Thursday. Donna, was it Thursday I chat? We had a chat. Donna and I had a nice long chat, and during that chat, something she said to me was just how important Easter is. It is our reminder in the calendar and to all people of the uncomprehendable love of Christ. And so often, you know, she said that to me in the moment. I'm like, yep, 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 you know. (laughs) But so often we get caught up in just all the things going on that we don't stop to remember what a precious gift Jesus was. And I think it's hard to understand how loved we are unless we put ourselves into his feet and think about the decisions he had to make for our good. That's how much he loves you. If you're not feeling loved today, there is no better way than to look and think and meditate on the decisions that Jesus made for you. All right, so let's see what was happening in Scripture on Palm Sunday. Luke 19, I don't know if we have the text or not. I didn't actually communicate with A.V. because that's how on top of it I am. Luke 19, it's 28 through 40. So if you can turn to your Bibles, I'll give you a second because I don't think we have the text. Maybe we do have the text. No. Okay, Luke 19, 28. And when he had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany, at the mount they call Olive, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where, uh, where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has yet uh, ridden, sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as they had been told. And as they were untying the colt, the owner said to them, Why are you untying the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of it. And they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who has come. In the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. 
And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And he answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. Let's pray. Lord God, be with us. Lord God, draw us near. Lord God, give us a posture and an attitude that desires to walk and acknowledge and see the road of suffering. Lord God, help us to be able to rejoice, sing, love, while accepting our walk down that road of suffering. I just pray for this time. I pray that you would be working in us, building us up, as we continue to pursue glorifying you in action and deed with our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So, yeah, as Donna was reminding me of the importance of Easter this last week, uh, and I thought about that, I thought it would be really important for us as a body to take this week, Holy Week, uh, to try and go back and imagine what Christ walked through, the decisions, uh, the price that was purchased for our salvation It's a lot of stuff, and it's hard to comprehend. But like I said, I think it's one of the best ways that we can really understand how much he loves us. And out of this understanding of how loved we are by an almighty, all-powerful, omniscient, omnipotent God, we're able to really go out and do things for his glory with peace, confidence, and comfort in it. Today's message is going to look a little bit different. I have a bajillion notes. That's very uncommon for me. Uh, Because I'm, uh, for those of you that don't know, I'm dyslexic, and so reading is not a strong suit. Uh, So I tend to keep my notes really abbreviated, just in bullets, so that I can see like a word that's like, this is where you're going, dude. Don't get lost. (laughs) And so uh, I, uh, I, but there's a lot of stuff here, and there's a lot of scripture that we're going to look at. And it's also going to look a little different because I've had just the honor and privilege of working with, with Beverly this last uh, year. It's been absolutely uh, spectacular. Um, the, the work that she's putting in for this church is amazing. And the compliments that she brings to this church are amazing. And one of the things that she thought to do, she's leading a group on Tuesdays, um, a, a women's group on Tuesday nights. And so she, as an icebreaker, addressed the group and said this, what would you like to see addressed on Palm, in the Palm Sunday sermon? What amazing foresight. I'll tell you what, it's a lot easier to prep a sermon when you know what people want to hear <laughs> or want to learn about. And so thank you, Beverly. She presented this. There's a bunch of questions, and I said, I am going to do my best to walk through those and answer those uh, as best I can, and that's what we're going to do together today. 
So, the first question was, can you con connect Old Testament prophecies to what happened in Palm Sunday? And our reflective reading today said yes, <laughs> we can. That got answered before we even started, which is really awesome, but we're going to look at it again because I have it in here and I, and, and, and I need to stay the course. So we're going to look at Zechariah 9, 9 to 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, unto, shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you, righteousness, uh, righteous in having salvation, and, ha and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, on a foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim and the war horse of Jerusalem, and the battle bow shall be cut off. And ha he shall speak peace to the nations. His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. It's going to be important for this to be in our minds for the upcoming questions because the way that the disciples are responding to Jesus entering Jerusalem is directly tied to their understanding of what this meant. And their understanding was wrong. And I think today, oftentimes, our understanding is wrong. And so, we're going to look at that. That's going to be awesome. The other place we see in the Old Testament where there's a, a direct correlation between what's being said and, uh, uh, in, and Luke in the triumphal entry and in the Old Testament is in the Psalms. As Jesus is entering in on the colt, the people are worshiping and praising and they're saying, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. This is in Luke 19:38 Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And in Matthew's recording of this, the crowd uh, that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, "Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest." And in Psalm 118:25 25 and 26, which I thought I had written down, but I don't. Essentially, they, they, are, they are quoting and saying these same praises. Save us now. Hosanna means save us now. Deliver us. Save us now, God. So what's that mean? That, that concept of save us now, that concept of Hosanna kind of points to what we were talking about. It talked about how the disciples had this idea from Zechariah of what this was going to look like. Jesus is coming. He's going to liberate us. He will be, his throne will be in Jerusalem. And from there, he will rule the world. And the world will be at peace. This is the Messiah that they anticipated coming. And so they're shouting, Hosanna, save us now. And this addresses the next question, which is, Hosanna means save us now. 
They were expecting Jesus to lead a rebellion to overthrow Rome, but why didn't he? We see throughout the Old Testament, God again and again levels the battlefield to make way for his people. So why, when Jesus came, didn't he do that? He could have. He could have. If you think about yourself, once again, as I was talking about putting yourself in the feet of Jesus, and you're walking down this path, what would you have done? A lot of times we put Jesus in this idea, we, we get this idea that Jesus didn't have to face some of these temptations that we face. But I think that those ideas were coming. I mean, I can just smite everybody and here I am. All praise the king. As I looked at this and, and, and studied and thought, I came up with a lot of ideas. Um, I got to talk about it at men's prayer. Um, and, and we had a lot of thoughts and ideas. And I was sitting down with one of my mentors, John All, on Thursday, and he said the most profound thing that I think I've ever heard him say. John, I'm sorry if you said nicer things, but, you know, this is where, it's the way it stuck out to me, man. So it was the, you gave me the best you had. Thank you. Um, just, I asked him this question, and John kind of looked down at the floor and then looked at me, and he said, Jesus came to deal with the problem, not the symptoms. Jesus came to deal with the problem, not the symptoms. We live in a culture where we like to have a relationship with a God that we want to deal with all of our symptoms. But Jesus didn't come to address the symptoms. He could have addressed the symptoms, but he didn't. Instead, he dealt with the problem itself. And because of that, not only did he liberate the Jewish people, he liberated all people. But the path he had to walk was not going to be easy. It was going to be heavy. Wrought with suffering. And Jesus knew this. And yet he chose it. That brings me to the next question. What do we expect God to do for us in the same way the Hebrews expected Jesus to overthrow Rome? I'll repeat that. What do we expect God to do for us in the same way the Hebrews expected Jesus to overthrow Rome. I think the importance to this, I've talked about this kind of the walking and Jesus knowing, but I think it's good that we put some scripture to the knowing. So in Luke 9, 22, Jesus says this, the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be risen. He knew. Again in Luke 
9, 44 and 45, he says this. So this is just later to those disciples. Let these words sink into your ears. The Son of Man is about to be delivered into the hands of men. But they didn't understand this saying. And it was concealed from them so that they might not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. They were so caught up in the expectations that they had for who Jesus was going to be that they couldn't comprehend the words he was saying to them. Well, that doesn't add up. So Jesus, looking forward and seeing exactly what was coming, making these choices, walking through for the victory that had eternal ramifications rather than a symptomatic victory, a victory for all people. He knew it and he walked through it nonetheless. And you see later in the same Luke text in 19, I think it starts at 41, that he's weeping as he sees Jerusalem. He's weeping because he knows the condition of the heart of Jerusalem. And he knows that his people will be brought to their knees and their city will be destroyed down to every last brick. And despite everything that he's going through, there's going to be so much pain and suffering and he's weeping. And seeing the conclusions as we're walking through this, the disciples are going to be deeply, deeply disappointed that the Savior they wanted wasn't the Savior they got. How often do we want instant gratification and don't understand where hope truly lies? just like the confused disciples. They'd been given the answer. We've been given the answer more completely than they had. How often do we not see what that means and instead look to comforts rather than Christ? So, I think as you're walking through this process this week and thinking about all that Christ did and how loved and forgiven and the salvation that was bought for you so that you can be free, maybe it's good that you ask yourself this very question, what do we expect God to do for us in the same way the Hebrews expected Jesus to overthrow Rome? How are we doing? Doing pretty good. Good. Awesome. Let's look at the next question. This one's a little lighter. What is the significance of palms? That was the question. What is the significance of palms? We just read through the text in Luke, and palms aren't mentioned. Um, I don't believe uh, Matthew, I don't believe, I believe John is the only one that mentions palms. Um, and uh, I think that there's some relevance 
to that that we're going to dig into uh, in a moment. But what we do see in the Luke text is this concept of paving the way with, with their garments, their cloaks. And if you're here, I don't remember, was it last week, two weeks ago, we talked about the value of, uh, of your cloak as, as a Jew. You had one, it was your right. And so to then take your rights and lay them out before the, the king was just an amazing uh, expression of respect, profound respect. This is our king. This is our savior. So the palms in that sense were being laid down before Jesus in the utmost respect to like put out the red carpet as he entered Jerusalem. I think that the palms particularly stick out to John because he mentions them again. In Revelation, John says, writes this, There before me was a great multitude that no one could count. From every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, and they were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands. I think when John saw the triumphal entry, it was like a taste of what was to come. And as he was writing Revelation, I imagine him thinking back to that entry and understanding what Jesus paid for and looking forward and saying, we're all going to be before Jesus, clothed in white, and it will be the celebration that we wanted on this day. So, this leads into our final question. In what ways can we lay down our palms today? How can we show God the respect, the honor that he is due? We don't have to guess. In Luke 9, 23 and 24, uh, Jesus says this, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. And Paul says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. The last few weeks have been heavy and they've been 
raw and real. There's a lot that we are asked to do with our lives for Jesus. But the victory's already won. The weight has already been lifted. So how can we as a body present our palms with joy, enthusiasm, and excitement for what God has done for us and will do through us as we continue to pursue his glory and honor in every step we make. If we take the commands in of themselves, they could feel heavy. It could feel undoable because it is undoable. But by the grace of God, this has come up again and again, God is good and he can do it. And we can do it together with God. As we continue to walk through our lives life ministries this week, I want you to be thinking about what Christ did and how loved you are. Because from that place of being loved, from that place of, being, of recognizing and accepting the price that Jesus play, paid, there is freedom and there is lightness in the ministries that we must walk. I got to talk about this briefly, and I'm going to ask the worship team to come up. I got to talk about this briefly uh, yesterday at the meeting. I got to have a conversation with one of my employees. Um, I own a, a hobby store in Canton, and I got to have a conversation with one of my employees there. Um, we have a really amazing relationship and love for each other. Um, we do anything for each other. They don't know Jesus, uh, but they are learning. Even in the conversation that I had on Friday with uh, my uh, employee, James, he's been working for me for like 10 years, and as we were talking, uh, he just said, you know, I do believe uh, in, in God. And this was not, you know, he was an atheist, like it was very clear throughout all this, so he doesn't know what that means at this point, but it was a beginning. And he said, what's frustrating to me is that I, I, the, why would I be drawn to Christians? They're no different than anyone else. If that's not convicting, I don't know what is. How are we different? As we look through the Sermon on the Mount and how we love and how we give, are we different? Is that really being seen in how we love? Is that really being seen in how we give and how we act and how we behave with others? How are we different? So as you walk and accept Christ's love in your life, that salvation, that freedom, that lightness, I want you to also look and say, how can I love differently today? Because that's how they're going to know you. Let's pray, and then let's worship. Lord God, you are exalted above all. And Lord, we just pray that you would be moving in our hearts and in our lives this week. 
God, that you would give us an amazing lightness and joy as we pursue the beauty and wonder of your godliness in our own lives and in our relationships. God, that it would come and it would feel so light, despite any suffering that we may walk through, despite any hardship that we may walk through, God, that it would feel light because we're so connected and loved by you that, it, that everything feels doable, God. That we can connect with that joy, God. Mm. And each one of us is at a different place in our lives and in our walk. And God, you have a different plan for every single one of us. God, make clear the plan for each and every one of us. Encourage us in the season that we're in. Build us up so that we can go and love with excellence for your glory in this earth. In Jesus' name, Mm -hmm. amen.